So we're having brunch with Bill's family and dinner with my family. And nice. then we'll watch Game of Thrones. Nice. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> because God sent his only Jon Snow to die for our sin. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to popular media. I'm one of your co-hosts, Pete Romberg, and last night I successfully escaped from New York because uh, they were showing that movie in a theater, and I went to see it for the first time. With Snake Plissken? With Snake Plissken. I thought you were dead. <laughs> Fun fact, James Cameron did, like, matte painting for that movie. Uh, Interesting. Under the name of Jim. Um, yeah, so with me, as always, is my intrepid co-host. Uh, Martha Sullivan, and today I am in recovery from being launched back into my college nostalgia last night. Yes. So I'm, de- I'm dealing with a nostalgia hangover this morning, um, possibly a literal hangover, but mostly a nostalgia hangover. <laughs> nice. Uh, and we'll be talking about that later in the episode, about what specifically led you to this nostalgia hangover. Um, oh, we certainly will. Yes. This is our spring break episode. We It's just Martha and I, and we're going to be talking about the media that we've been consuming this past winter and spring uh, that has excited us the most. Most, but not all of this stuff, actually like came out in 2019. We'll talk about when it all came out. Um, but it's just what we've been consuming for the past four months or so, getting through this uh, miserable winter and getting into this uh, delightful and finally occurring spring. So, with that out of the way, I think, uh, Martha, do you want to go first, or should I go first? Um, I'll go first. Cool. Uh, I'm just gonna lead off with the show I went to last night. Um, so, last night I went to see a band called Carbon Leaf at a venue downtown. Um, I had, I first heard of Carbon Leaf 14 years ago. No, shut up, no. Yes. God. Because I'm I'm pretty sure it was either the summer before I left for college or the summer in between my freshman and sophomore years of college, which would be 13 to 14 years ago. Um, and their song, Lifeless Ordinary, got a lot of radio play in Chicago that year. Live a life less ordinary. Live a life extraordinary with me. And I enjoyed it quite a lot. And because this is the way that I relate to music, I found that album, uh, Indian Summer, and I listened. That was all I listened to for like three months of my life. Um, so I was very excited to hear that they were still making music. Uh, they kind of disappeared for a while, and it turns out that that's because when they decided to break from their production studio and go independent. They retained the rights to their music, but not to any of their recordings. Oh, suck. So they they have re-released, like, Redux albums of all of their classic stuff, which um, you can listen to on Spotify and are really interesting experiences for somebody who, like, I, I have the version that I know inside and out, and then listening to how they have kind of respun uh, these extremely familiar uh, 
tunes for me. And they have a new album coming out um, either this weekend or very soon that they are now touring for. Uh, so I got to go see them last night. The album is called Gathering. They played a couple of songs from it, but mostly it was it was the music that I you know was obsessed with for like two or three years of my uh, college career. Well, and so it, them, in, a great, in a great example of the shoe being on the other foot, you got me into them uh, way, way back, I, apparently 14 years ago. Um, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, when I saw on social media that you were at that show last night, uh, my jaw dropped just reading that, the, you know, carbon leaf. I'm like, what? Yeah, it was nuts. Um. Yeah, it was a really fun experience. Although the venue I was in was a little strange. City um, winery is weird. Yeah, all of the tables are communal and they have food service, um, which lends a very casual atmosphere to the show. Uh, but the woman that I went to see the show with, she and I uh, got yelled at by one of our table mates for talking in between two of the songs. God. Um, which I did not feel was truly warranted but mm-hmm. he was a large older man and we were close enough to the end of the show that we were just like we will stop talking and then complain about this guy afterwards yeah uh, i i saw a mountain goat show there years ago like four years ago and thought it was a very yeah strange venue that apparently like is on the like Bands go there all the time. I see, like, it crop up on bands, like, touring lists, like Chicago, City Winery, and every time I'm like, why? But, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't really care for it as a music venue, I think. Like, I, I have sort of certain behavioral expectations that I kind of ascribe to going to a, like, I don't think of going to a concert as being, like, I will be perfectly silent throughout this entire show. Right. Or, like, I'm going to sit down and eat some food. I also didn't want to be sitting. Yeah. <laughs> like, I wanted to be... So, anyway, I really enjoyed seeing them. Um, I was kind of bummed that that was the venue we were doing it in. It would have been more fun to be at, like, the Vic Theater or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it was really... I mean, it was a really small space, so, like even though we were at the very, very back of the room, we could still see everything. The sound was really great. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was that was my first one. I'm glad they're still making music. Yeah, cool. Uh, well, this is going to be a weirdly music-heavy episode for us. Usually it's, I have assigned one piece of music homework, we talk about it for 10 minutes, and then uh, move on from there. Um, but I've got a fair amount of music on my list, which should surprise no one. Um... I'm going to start off with the perfectly named band Better Oblivion Community Center, which is a name right out of the mid-aughts, but they are actually from this year. It is a uh, a duo. It's Phoebe Bridgers, whom we've talked about before. I I know I have had Boy Genius as either um, a top 10 thing from 2018 or just something stuck in my head. Uh, that was a super group, um, put out an album last year. Uh, she's one of the members and is an individual musician. And then she is uh, teamed up with Connor Oberst of Bright Eyes, whom I admit I don't listen to Bright Eyes that much. I don't know a lot like about their sound. Um, but Better Oblivion Community Center is the 
band that they are that they formed together uh put out an album back in january and it's phenomenal it's uh very much like indie rock very melodic um delightful to listen to martha i think you would dig them a lot it's lyric forward and melody forward um not too complicated and uh some of the songs are like anthemic but not in like a big stadium way just like in a like heart feel propulsive emotion kind of way they say you gotta fake it at least until you make it that ghost is just a kid in a sheet have a lot of quieter songs they're both phenomenal singers and musicians so it's just delightful to hear them um recently as they've been touring the various uh you know late night show circuits they've been doing some interesting covers they did a really nice cover of uh death cab for cuties title and registration a couple months ago um which you can find by youtube searching better oblivion community center title and registration which is like a very, like I said, mid-aughts combination of words to be in, like typing into your YouTube search bar. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't have as much to say about that because I haven't heard them, but I look forward yeah. to trying them. Yes, I, I would say that uh, of of music I have assigned or tried to get you into, this is probably <laughs> near the top of things that you would actually like. Okay. Well, and you've had a, you've got a pretty good track record on that so far, so... Yeah, I there's definitely like... things where I'm like, I'm assigning this to you and you probably won't like it, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, well, that's fair, because I do that to you, too. Yes, yeah. Um, but, you know, for the sake of knowledge... Yes. <laughs> these, are, these are the sacrifices that we make. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, so my second thing, uh, a little show called Crazy Ex-Girlfriend recently finished its run... Uh, it lasted for four seasons, um, and as far as I understand it, the ending was this was what this was the ending they wanted to do. So it wasn't that the show got canceled; it was that they the the producers came to the end of the story that they wanted to tell. Which I always appreciate when a show is neither dragged out beyond its sell date nor cut short. Deeply appreciate, yeah. Um, but this is also a very bittersweet thing for me because I loved, I have loved this show. Uh, for anybody who's not familiar with it, um, the premise is that Rebecca Bunch is a um, incredibly neurotic, like high power, high stress lawyer in New York City uh, until she runs into a guy named Josh who she dated when she was 16. Uh, she's at a period in her life when she's basically going through like a nervous breakdown from like the stress of everything. Um, like she's really good at being a lawyer, but you get the sense that this is not what is making her happy. Um, and she quits her job uh, and follows Josh to this little tiny podunk town in California called West Covina. You know, the and what it, what follows are like her her life there so the first season is about her being all about uh josh and being sort of the titular crazy ex-girlfriend um and one of the reasons i didn't start watching it when it first went on the air was because the title was a really big turnoff to me mm -hmm. 
Um, but I would urge anybody who felt the same way to give it a chance. It's all on Netflix now. Uh, and it's also a musical. Um, they ended up writing and performing 157 original songs over the course of this show. And even the not as great ones are only just okay. Like there's no bad music on this show. I, I'm not like a huge musical person, but every crazy ex-girlfriend clip that I hear, like musical clip I hear or like scene that I see is just a plus. Um, I like, I keep thinking of the Jap rap battle from I think season yes. one, which is just pure which... solid gold. And which we should clarify stands for Jewish American yes. princess. Yes, we should. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, and I think because like you tell someone's a, you tell someone something is a musical and they're like, oh, I know what that is. And this isn't that like right. they are parodying every musical style that you can possibly think of. They have a song in the first season called a boy band made up of four Joshes where the actor <laughs> playing Josh like plays every different boy band archetype in like one number. Um, but the biggest thing that the biggest strength of this show is that it deals openly and honestly with Rebecca's mental health. Like she is, she is a woman who struggles with anxiety and depression and you find out later borderline personality disorder. Like her, her mental health issues are the big, um, thing that she deals with. And she's not always a likable character. Like she makes really bad decisions mm -hmm. and then has to deal very directly with the consequences of those decisions. Um, and I really loved how I think the show opened up a dialogue for people to be able to talk about like, Oh yeah, a lot of people deal with depression. Like they have a whole song about how taking antidepressants is like a normal thing and not something that you have to be afraid of. Um, and I just think that the show has done a really wonderful job of normalizing that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm I'm still kind of processing how I felt about the ending. I think the final, like the, the final season definitely had its ups and downs. Um, and while I think I, I liked how they ended it, I don't know that the episode was a, good episode so much as i just enjoyed the events that were in it like it provided the the closure that you wanted but maybe it wasn't like but it I think could the, have been better yeah i think the execution was flawed mm. um but also i just started re-watching it because i want it's only four seasons mm -hmm. and i think the first two seasons are short so they're only like 12 episodes it's been um, th there've been long gaps between the seasons right cuz i i feel yes. like i remember this came out maybe initially in 2012 i i think that's correct yeah. cuz there was i think it started on a different network and then moved to the cw and mm. there was um something funky about that um but it's all on Netflix, including the last season. It was going up pretty immediately. Um, and it's really interesting to see, to compare where Rebecca starts with now knowing where she ends. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I've been very... I'm I'm sad that it's over. I'm happy for all the characters without spoiling anything. And, yeah, I think they really, I think they really accomplished something unique and special. Nice. Um, well, my the next one on my list is a movie that came out in 2018, but I didn't get around to seeing it until 2019, so I get to include it here. Um, 
This is Steve McQueen's Widows, which everyone kind of slept on. And, like, myself included, I didn't, like, I wanted to see it in theaters and then didn't. Uh, so I'm part of the problem. Um, it, this is... A lot of people were calling it, like, it's heat, but with all, like, with female robbers, um, which is one way to describe it, but also not accurate. Um, set in Chicago, and shot in Chicago, the premise is, uh, the widowed wives of four career criminals, um, are in debt to the criminal, to some people that their, uh, husbands were trying to steal for, um, the, you know, the the criminals want to recoup what was owed to them, so now they have to pull a heist uh, that had been planned by their husbands. Um, it's got an absolutely amazing stellar cast. Um, Viola Davis plays the uh, the main character. She's joined by Michelle Rodriguez, Elizabeth Debicki, who's stellar in this, um, as like fellow um, fellow widows involved. Um, Liam Neeson plays Viola Davis's husband. Uh, Brian Tyree Henry and Daniel Kaluuya play the um, uh, criminals that they're in Hawk to. And Colin Farrell's in it as a politician doing the most broadest, I'm not sure what he was thinking, da bears, da coach kind of accent. Um, which do you, think he, do you think he was making up for, like, overcompensating for his natural accent? I don't know what he was trying to do and, and that's possible um and it's also possible that he's like oh like because he's doing that stereotypical chicago accent from like the snl skit from the 80s but that's like sort of more of a polish working class thing and he's an irish upper class guy so it doesn't like irish american um so it doesn't make sense like culturally for him to have made that choice um but it's sure is fascinating to watch and listen to uh <laughs> um the i think the problem with the movie in like and why everyone slept on it is that it was directed by steve mcqueen who's a phenomenal sort of indie art house director the last thing he made was 12 years a slave um and the art house crew probably saw the trailer and were like oh and i, I should mention it's written by a is it jillian flynn gillian flynn gilly gillian cool gillian flynn yeah cool um so so it's it's like a prestige picture art house kind of picture but it's a violent heist movie so you've got the art house people not into the violent heist part you've got the action movie people not into the art house part um as someone who likes both of those worlds i thought it was a phenomenal movie also could not help loving all the chicago bits going on uh the green line is all over this movie which is always delightful to see as someone who rides the green line every time i'm down in chicago i have not seen this one yet i am very much looking forward to it the biggest criticism that i heard about it was that it almost should have been a mini series because there's so much going on there is a lot going on um and I heard that there were people who felt that because there were so many different plot threads, they didn't feel like each one got the attention that it deserved. I can completely see that. Uh, excising um, Colin Farrell's sort of character entirely, like, he's there for reasons that do make sense, but you could have had a tighter, shorter movie without him at all. Um, or, like you said, make it a miniseries and sort of expand his his role a little bit more. Um, 
on the flip side, I don't know. Like this, the nice part about this is that it's like it's one heist, which is a good length for a movie, and and you could see that easily being drawn out a little too much in a miniseries. Um, well, I feel like if they did a miniseries, they could do multiple heists. True, but that's not what the characters are into. Like, they're very much like, we're going to take this money, we're going to pay off what's owed to us, and then we're never going to see each other again. Because um, we're not yeah, friends. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was going to say, although part of me wants to believe that they end the movie and are like, now we're besties. <laughs> <laughs> right. I now, mean, like, so they're very much a friend. Run. Like, we're not friends here. We're doing this because we have to. Um, yeah, now we run the mob, and we have directly segued into the kitchen graphic novel. I mean, I would not be opposed to that miniseries, uh, but that's not the story that this movie is telling. Uh, yeah, what about your your next one? Um, I am going to also do, uh, for my next one, a movie that came out in 2018 uh, that I only recently got around to watching, uh, called Can You Ever Forgive Me, starring Melissa McCarthy as... Uh, it's the oh. based on a true story of Lee Israel, yeah. who is a biographer. Um, and in the early '90s, I want to say, um, was struggling very deeply financially. She'd had a couple of books come out, but nothing be successful for a while. Um, and realized or kind of discovered that she has an innate talent for mimicking the voices of other authors and other writers. So what she starts doing is forging letters and correspondence from famous dead authors and selling them for a lot of money <laughs> um, until, you know, the, the collector community realizes what's going on and she gets uh, nailed by the FBI. Uh, Richard E. Grant was nominated for Best Supporting Actor award uh he plays jack hawk another author who gets involved it um in her schemes once once the uh rare book community starts kind of recognizing that her letters that she's been selling them have been starting to ping like authenticity mm -hmm. uh dubiousness <laughs> red flags she, yeah, red flags. Um, she enlists uh, Hawk to help her sell them and continue the scam um, until, yeah, I, I, it's not really spoiling anything because she wrote a book about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I was really excited to see this because I really love Melissa McCarthy. Mm -hmm. And I think that she is, she's in a really interesting position. Not a lot of female comedic actors get to make the transition that she has to doing serious, uh, like serious roles. Mm -hmm. Um, and she appears to just be making whatever movies that she wants, which is not always a privilege afforded to female actresses and all due respect to Melissa McCarthy, because I think she's a beautiful woman, but she is not Hollywood beautiful. Like right. she is a real, she is somebody that looks like a real person. Um, and as far as I can tell, is able to have the career that she wants to have. And I think that that's really, really admirable. Um, and I was curious to see how she would make this move from comedy, like these really broad, big comedic characters that she's been playing to um, somebody who's like not, not just a dramatic role, but a really unlikable dramatic role. Like mm -hmm. Lee is 
I mean, it's, it's a plot point that Lee is like abrasive and mean and pushes away everybody in her life. You know, at one point she and her editor have a talk because Lee is like, you're not selling my books. And her editor's like, you're not either. Mm, like, mm-hmm. you get to pick. <laughs> you can either be a genius and reclusive or talented and effusive. Like, pick one. <laughs> right, right. Uh, um, so, I like, when this came out, I remember all the buzz was around her and how absolutely phenomenal she was. Um but on the flip side, I was like, I don't know if I care about the movie, like the, you know, the premise. So was it good? Was it worth actually seeing, not just for her, but for the whole, uh, Yes. You know. It's a, it's a really compelling movie. Okay. Like part of me is watching this knowing that it is a true thing that actually happened. And also like everyone involved in this is dumb. Like, <laughs> what? but it's also important to remember that it's happening during the nineties. So yeah. like. I, I have to imagine that a lot of authentication and communication and all of that was just not operating as quickly as it does now. Right. Because as far as I can tell, she was only selling, like, first of all, the rare book and document community has to be very, very small. Yes. Um, yes. And she was only selling letters to like three or four different shops in Brooklyn. And it was like, how did you do this for so long? Well, it could also be that like, you know, no one else had been audacious as this, so no one, like, was thinking it would, like, wasn't on the level. Uh, and now, because of her, everyone's like, no, we're gonna check everything five times. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I really enjoyed it. Um. Nice. Alright, well, my number three one is a podcast, um, that just began season two a couple weeks ago. Uh, the podcast is I Only Listen to the Mountain Goats, and it does what it says on the tin. Uh, it I is... Am, mm-hmm. I am positive I have told you to listen to this before. Oh, I listened to it back when season one was coming out. Um, did you see this when they came to Chicago? No, I don't like the Mountain Goats. Yeah, I know, but you like Joseph Fink. Uh, I'm bearing the lead here real bad. <laughs> um... So I Only Listen to the Mountain Goats is a podcast created and hosted by Joseph Fink, who is the creator of Welcome to Night Vale and Alice Isn't Dead. Uh, I'm sure we've talked about Welcome to Night Vale on this show at some point. I hadn't, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And on the podcast, he interviews John Darneal, the frontman and founder of the indie band The Mountain Goats, which is a band I love and is... I understand why people don't like it. Um... Season one, They're which... fine. They're just not my jam. Sure. Uh, season one, which came out last year, was all about the 2002 album All Hail West Texas, which was sort of the last of the lo-fi albums of the Mountain Goats. Um, every episode was an in-depth discussion about one specific song that was then coupled with a cover of that song by a different band. Um... It was really cool. They ended up releasing all the covers on their own album. I think gave it, uh, you know, the proceeds of that to some charity or something. Um, And now season two is about the forthcoming album, uh, In League with Dragons, which is coming out April 26th. And it's a different kind of show. Um, Again... I'm sorry, that name rules. (laughs) It is is a pseudo-rock opera partly inspired by D&D. Oh. Oh no, do... Pete, do I like the Mountain Goats you're, now? You're going to listen to the Mountain Goats. <laughs> um, 
take a listen to Sicilian Crest when we're done with this episode. That's one of the singles that I think really rocks. Um, but this is, again, every episode is about a specific song, but they recorded it while the album was still in production. So we get to listen to the original demo tracks of the song. We get to listen to the final version of the song. And we get to hear um, like a really in-depth discussion about the creative process and a, a whole range of other topics that they get into. Um, but, you know, they, they could have recorded a discussion about a song while the song was still being hammered out. So it's not a finalized discussion um and it's very much a process season this time around rather than like a big ideas um retrospective like the last season was so it's it's really fascinating uh john darnell's a really interesting guy um with a uh, like storied personal life that he is definitely gets into um so if you like indie rock music or artistic creative processes or the mountain goats um give it a listen um, so is the idea that this whole season will be completed before the album itself comes out? No, uh, the album is coming out next week, um, and they've only got like two or three episodes out. So half of the, like some of the episodes will have come out before the album, and the other, the rest of them will come out after the album. Okay, so it's, the the timing on that is just really interesting to me. Like, is this, it's kind of promotion, but also... Yes, I I think it was... The release was structured so that the first couple episodes were before the album, so you get the excitement about, um, you know, hearing new songs for the first time. Um, and then the rest of it comes out after the album, so you can have had your experience with the album as they continue to talk about it. That That's really cool. Also, yeah, I will listen and report back because that concept is very, very <laughs> uh, interesting to me. Look, I have listened to a lot of fantasy, like theme metal in my life right so so he says his inspirations include D and uh noir novels um and it's a pseudo rock opera but he's he's also said that he doesn't like that it gets boiled down to oh the mountain goats have a new album inspired by dungeons and dragons um so i and i i, I think it's all going to be amorphously related rather than specifically related but also, like, that's still really, that's still a really exciting sentence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, All right, what do you got for us next? So my next one's a little bit of a cheat, um, because I didn't want to just pick one. Uh, but this year, a lot of very exciting young adult sequels are coming out, and I have been devouring them like popcorn. Um. The three that I have read so far this year are The Wicked King by Holly Black, uh, The Curses by Laura Eve, and The Everlasting Rose by Donielle Clayton. Uh, each one is uh, the continuation of a book that came out last year that I was very, very excited about. Um, and it's just frequently, um, I, I vacillate between like enthusiasm and frustration with the fact that it seems like most of YA being written right now is being written for like to be a series. Mm. But also a lot of them are like fantasies with incredibly complex uh, worlds and characters. So like I finished the first one and I'm like, I'm frustrated that I have to wait for there to be more, but also please give me more right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
the the everlasting rose is the sequel to a book called the bells which takes place in like a fantasy version of new orleans which i'm already super on board for so you mean normal Um, new orleans only (laughs) it's like new orleans by way of the versailles french court Ooh, ooh. which is still kind of normal new orleans (laughs) yeah like so new orleans but with uh, period costumes (laughs) <laughs> yeah and the the um conceit in that one is that everybody is born sort of wrinkled and gray and ugly and there are a handful of women in this world that have the power to shape you to look like anything you want mm-hmm. um so like beauty has basically become the currency and status marker in this world very much unlike our uh, own and then the whole thing turns into a slavery allegory cool. it's amazing cool um, the Wicked King is volume two after uh, The Cruel Prince. Um, Holly Black writes fairy tales that are set in the modern world, um, and her fairies are very much of the traditional, like, we leave milk out on our front doorstep so that the fairies don't steal our children. Uh, terror fairies, fairies, not like kind fairies. Exactly. Like, they're beautiful, and they are absolutely without any sense of what we consider to be like human morality Mm -hmm. Uh, and her main characters are two girls that were kidnapped when they were very young and stolen away to fairyland and raised there so they're two mortal girls trying to survive in an environment that has no respect for the fragility of more of um like mortality is the word i was looking for um, and kind of how they've had to like learn how to outwit everyone because one of the one of the interesting things, and I don't know if this is a piece of Holly Black lore or if it is um, like if it has roots in actual folklore, but her fairies d- can't lie. Hmm. And our two human characters very much can. So that ends up being like their main weapon is the fact that they can lie and it doesn't occur to, the rest of the denizens of this fairy world that that would be a possibility Mm -hmm. um and then the other one i have read oh the curses so the graces was the first one about a trio of siblings who are like the people that everybody wants to be at their local high school and the awkward new girl who rolls into town and gets kind of absorbed into their social sphere And there are all these rumors about how these siblings come from, like, a family that has secret witch powers. um, And we get to find out how, like, true or false that actually is. Are we talking, like, some Um, sort of, like, kindly ones graces? Like, that sort of a reference? Uh, I um... don't. (laughs) So so that's, like, the the, uh, the, um, three sisters of fate in Greek mythology are, like, euphemistically called, like, the kindly ones or the graces or, like, the good ladies because, you know... They control fate, so you don't want to get on their bad side. Actually, maybe. Um, the siblings are two sisters and a brother, but I hmm. bet you could make some I bet you could make some parallels between like their characteristics and that. It was not a it was not a reference that had occurred to me, but I bet I mean Grace is their surname. Ah. So um but that's probably not an accident. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, there are a couple more sequels coming up this year that I'm very, very excited about. Um, but those are the three that I've read so far this year. Um all three are excellent, like complex, intriguing books. And I think 
all three well actually the bells may be done that may just have been a duology um but i believe the curses and the wicked king will eventually be trilogies Mm -hmm. so i can look look forward to those for next year nice um, well, continuing with the book theme, uh, my next one is a uh, nonfiction book called Leadership in Turbulent Times by Doris Kearns Goodwin. Um, Goodwin is one of my favorite um, American historians to read because she is a phenomenal prose stylist. Like, I just love reading her works for the words that she writes. Um, she did um, Team of Rivals and The Bully Pulpit. Uh, she was Lyndon Johnson's personal biographer and uh, wrote a book on FDR. This is a book about those four presidents and their specific leadership styles and sort of what made them leaders. So she um, looks at Lincoln, Teddy Roosevelt, uh, Franklin Roosevelt, and Johnson um, sort of at three moments in their lives. Uh, it's the, the book is divided into thirds, where the first third is their... Um, I don't want to say childhood, but their their young adulthood and their first like developing de- developing of their leadership skills. Um, then the second section, which is where I'm currently at in in reading this book, is about a major um, hurdle that they had to overcome. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt, famously, his wife and mother died on the same day, and that sent him into a horrific depression. Um, and I sort wonder of, why. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, like, sort of how they overcame that and, and how it tempered them into the people they ended up being. And then the third section is about their individual and unique leadership styles, looking at specific um, events in their presidency. So um, Lincoln is obviously, that's looking at the, like, it's not looking at the Civil War entirely. It's looking about the Emancipation Proclamation specifically. Um Johnson's is looking at, I think, um, the passage of one of the great society bills. I'm not sure which one. Um, like I said, I'm only in the second section of the book now. Um, but like, this is a woman who has spent the last 40 years of her life deeply researching all of these people. And now she gets to write a book that's like synergistically combining all of them with a totally different angle and lens. Um, and yeah, her prose is just magnificent. So I'm really really like it's the kind of book where i start reading it and then i'm furious when i have to go do other things like record a podcast (laughs) i will not apologize (laughs) it might be what i was doing right before we started this that's fair i was sleeping Mm -hmm. um this sounds like what i'm getting my dad for father's day oh it would be a great father's day gift well and i think he really loved the bully pulpit um yeah my dad is currently embroiled in the plot to kill George Washington, I mm. think it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, founding father history is incredibly interesting to him. Um, I am going to talk next about Shrill. Because I want to leave, I want to leave my last one for last. Yep. I, I feel I... like you're, we are both going to have things to say about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so Shrill is a show on Hulu starring A.D. Bryant um, based on the memoir by Lindy West of the same name. Um, and it is only six episodes long and each episode is only 
like 22 minutes or a half hour. Nice. Um, it is really good, you guys. It made me feel a lot of things. Um, the the premise is that Annie is Aidy Bryan's character. Um, is a fat woman, and it's how she learns like her. It's the beginning of her process to towards like self acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um. And how, like, the things that she deals with being a fat woman every day, the different kind of uh, prejudices, both overt and not. Like, there's a scene in the very first episode where um, a woman catches her looking at an advertisement for, like, some fitness class. And it's, uh, she's the teacher of the class, and she says, I really think I can help you. You just have such a pretty face, and I see so much potential in you. (sighs) And yes, <laughs> um, and at one point, like her boss makes some insinuations about how she looks sloppy and, you know, he expects his employees to like look professional and like care about themselves. And this is a woman who has looked like I, I, I was mad when I found out they had to custom make so much of her wardrobe because that meant that I can't go out and buy it. Mm-hmm. Like she looks great. And it's just these like these little, you know, things that vacillate between being like little and sort of harmless to like, oh, you're not going to promote me because you think that I'm a sloppy person because I'm fat. Right. And problems that overweight people deal with on a regular basis. Um, I am not like an obese person. I am on the heavy side and a lot of the like internal conflict that she has to deal with about like, I don't want to make waves because I don't want people to notice me. Or I thought that this horrible, like horrible guy that treats me awfully and is embarrassed to see, like be seen with me is the best that I could do because who, who else would ever love me? Like these are, feelings that I have dealt with over the course of my life. And it was really um, kind of raw to see them be portrayed and talked about so openly. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's also one episode that made me cry because it's just incredibly beautiful. Like it, it is sort of, I I don't want to spoil it because I want everybody to watch the show, but the pool party episode has gotten to be sort of is like the episode that is being talked about because there's a scene with it there's a scene with a body positive pool party where everyone in attendance is fat and they're all wearing bathing suits and they all like don't care mm-hmm. there's like they are just enjoying being outside and being in the sun and being at the pool in this article of clothing that people are frequently told you have to look a certain way to be clothed in it and it was just really an incredible experience to see a whole group of women just be like no this is what i feel like wearing i'm gonna do it <laughs> like i am not the problem mm-hmm. if you have a problem with me wearing this so i i have heard that um like some people have had different reactions to the show um i found that it resonated very particularly with some like very specific things that I have felt over the course of my life. Um, And I honestly would recommend it for people just to get insight into 
the ways that our society like overtly and also um, sort of unconsciously punishes people and specifically women for being overweight. Yeah, well, cool. Um, my number five is a movie that we talked about last week as the stuck in our heads, but neither Martha nor I talked about it, so I feel okay uh, at talking about it now, um, which is Us, the Jordan Peele horror social commentary kind of black comedy movie. Um, Martha, have you gotten around to seeing this yet? No. Sad. I, um, I know, I'm a failure. Cool. Well, I'm, I'm just putting it out here. I, <laughs> uh, I feel like we talked about it a lot last week, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it. Um, but I do think that it it's the kind of movie that I've kept thinking about and have had three different like conversations about it just this past week with people. Um, so it's it's been bouncing around my head a lot. It's obviously masterfully made. Um, it's not that scary like it's intense but it's not there's no jump scares um and i increasingly like you know its message isn't as clear as get out um but i think it does a really good job with some social commentary very class heavy and class focused um and i'm i'm excited that it's getting you know as it's being talked about as much as it is um yeah, you should get around to seeing it. I would like to. Um, I haven't had a whole lot of time to get to the theater mm-hmm. recently. Yeah. A lot of the movies I've been watching have been at home. Yeah. That's entirely fair. Also, now it's getting, like, nice out, so there's less incentive to want to go spend two hours in a movie theater when you could be spending it outside. Mm, incorrect. That's, but that's how I that's think true. about it. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm sure that that's true for some people. <laughs> For me, it's just like, ooh, I can walk to the movie theater. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so my last one is Game of Thrones. I thought because... you were going to talk about this when you said a little TV show called when you started talking about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Oh, no, that one is actually a little TV show. <laughs> right. um, this is ironically little because I do you think 85% is a fair estimation of how much of the, the population is like watching this show right now there's enough people who are of the i've never seen an episode and gosh darn it i'm gonna never see an episode just to be that person um that's fine yeah i don't i'm not invested in them i'm not gonna waste <laughs> no if, if they it, it's are, like, have hey, they, like if do, they have... you you do you like if yeah if they've decided this is not their thing like for a while i thought i had decided this was not my thing i did too um I, I mean, I thought you had decided it was not your thing. I did. And I actually, I think it was season five, like in the middle of it, I was just like, I can't anymore. Mm-hmm. I can't do this. There's like too much gratuitous rape. There's, you know, everyone I love is dying or tortured or, you know, has like their, their story has completely gone off the rails. Um, I don't know that I care anymore. Children at the stake. Yeah, Yeah. this was a lie. Um, It turns out that I care very deeply. Uh, And the season premiere of the final season was last week. Um, And we're recording this before episode two has come out. So correct. Um, But yeah, I 
I thought it started slow, um, but also I really enjoyed the chance to, you know, kind of reconnect with all of our characters before everything just truly goes to hell. Mm-hmm. Um, I... I am just really looking forward to whatever the ending is. I'm looking forward to knowing what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a couple of thoughts. I only have one very definitive thought, um, or I have, I have one very definitive theory that I would like put money on being true. And the rest of it, it's just like, I'm just along for this ride. I am definitely in the I'm just along for this ride camp. I have a joke theory of how the show ends. Um, but I, like, it's a joke. What is, so, your, what is your joke theory? Oh, uh, the final shot is uh, Robin Aaron sitting on the throne. Oh, he yeah, takes a sip you... from a goblet. He has a milk stash. Uh, and then maybe smash cut to that. got milk. Yeah. Um, you, you tweeted that and I hated it. <laughs> but it's so good. Um but, like, I don't know, Robin Aaron might actually end up on the throne. That would be a an inver- like an inversion in a way that, like, would make sense for A Song of Ice and Fire. Um, especially because there are infinite number of historical precedents for entirely incapable people becoming kings through bad reasons. Um, Honestly, I think the biggest argument against that happening is that he did not show up in the premiere. Yes. And I think that this season is going to be as close to a bottle episode as this kind of show would give us. Yes. I um, like, I agree with that 100%. Um, the only thing that I am so sure on that I would bet real human dollars is that Cersei and Jamie will die by murder suicide. Hmm. I think that Jamie will kill Cersei and then kill himself. Uh, that is my that's my big huh. prediction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I like it. That's got a that fits in a lot of ways. It takes a it takes a lot of boxes. Yeah, yeah, it does. It, <laughs> it, I don't want to say it's clean, but like it's clean. Um, well, and George Martin has always been more attached to like conventional, like not conventional, but traditional like storytelling tropes. Then I think he wants people either it, more than he wants to admit or more than he wants people to recognize. Yes. Um, which is, yeah, which I, I think will not protect anybody, but I think we can use to kind of predict um, some of the, some of the outcomes. So like, I think that that would be a really, circular way to close Jamie's character redemption arc. Mm -hmm. And I also just believe that he can't live without Cersei. Well, and then he gets to be both a Kingslayer and a Queenslayer. So that's cool. True. Yeah. Also, I just want to say, I don't really want this to evolve, to devolve into just our predictions for Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was so stoked to see our premiere. We have gone from having too many Kings to having too many Queens. And I am all about it. (laughs) Um, Sansa was maybe the best part of the premiere episode. Um, God, watching her be a better leader than Jon Snow at literally every turn was incredible. Well, and, uh, like, I'm so happy and here for the person who's, like, cool army, how are we feeding it? It's winter. Uh, Like, what do dragons eat? Cool. Very cool. There's no food. 
Um, no, none. Um, if it's not your jam, I respect that. But also, this is all I'm going to be able to talk about for the next, like, six weeks. So just, you know, prepare yourselves for that. Also, you are listening to a pop culture podcast. So uh, if it's not your jam, it's certainly the waters in which you are swimming. True. Um, at least, yeah, for the next also, month and a half. It's also interesting. I've been seeing a lot about how people are feeling that this is going to be the last like huge zeitgeist um like pop culture thing that we all experience together Mm -hmm. like because there's so much media now and a lot of it is released all at the same time and hbo still does episodic stuff so like we all we are all on the same schedule to find out what happens on game of thrones and people are theorizing that this may be the last big like event piece of pop culture that does that which i don't know that i agree with but is interesting to think about todd vanderwerf over at vox had a good counterpoint to that which is that it's not going to be the last big zeitgeist event it's going to be the last of the tv recap uh article events (laughs) like shows um which was kind of an interesting piece um and i'd recommend people um read it we'll throw it up in the show notes yeah that is interesting especially because literally everything gets recaps now so why would this be well and apparently yeah recaps are also like less popular than they were in the aughts um but most of the people writing about culture or many of the people writing about culture cut their teeth writing recaps so it's like you have this nostalgia thing for a thing that's both not as popular and also more ubiquitous um hmm. yeah it, anyways an interesting piece yeah. um well cool my last one uh is a i'm i'm creating a nice little uh mirror here where i began with a uh, album and i'm gonna end with an album um sharon von etten again put out an album in january january was a good month for music um remind me of tomorrow is the name of the album and it has the single 17 which is i'm Thinking getting a lot of radio play, it's getting a lot of radio play on the indie station here. like a classic indie rock musician um i had not listened to a whole lot of her before this album and i kind of slept on it when it first came out uh but then spotify and and the radio started playing 17 for me a lot just on various lists and i'm every time i hear that song i'm like this is a this song slaps um so i listened to the rest of the album and the whole album is fantastic um Martha, I know you, I don't think you would like it quite as much as Better Oblivion Community Center, but, um, it's, like, it has been a fantastic year so far for music, um, especially for female musicians, and looking forward, there is a lot of really good music coming down the pipeline as well, um, so I, I kind of wanted to begin and end my list with some music, because, 
I think it's been good and I think it's going to continue to be good and maybe even get better. Unrelated, well, not totally unrelated, but just on the topic of female musicians having a moment, Lizzo had a new album out that I'm very yes. excited to listen to. Yes, yes. Um, and, and speaking of new music coming out, uh, Jamila Woods, whom I assigned as a homework assignment way back on maybe our first or second episode ever, um, has a new album coming out very soon. That's thrilling to me. It's all, all the titles are names of um, African-American women who inspired, inspired her. So like Aretha, Zora, things like that. Um, she's got a couple singles out. You should listen to them. They're all great. That rules. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Pete, you wanted to end on something we're looking forward to. Yeah, so we're each going to share one thing that we're looking forward to. I'm going to take the low-hanging fruit, kind of because I just cheated and said what I'm looking forward to is all the music coming out this year. Um, (laughs) I'm going to take the low-hanging fruit and just say Avengers Endgame is coming out in, I think, a week. And uh, obviously that will be the end of... 10 years of Marvel storytelling in a way. Um, And it's going to be the big event that everyone's talking about when they're not talking about Game of Thrones. Um, So, you know, we are legally required to be looking forward to it. And I I actually am looking forward to it. I am struggling. Um, Obviously, I'm going to go see this movie. Probably opening night. Mm -hmm. Um, I need to revisit Infinity War. Um, because I was largely underwhelmed by it when I saw it last year. Um, and my feelings were very sort of resentful, um, about the fact that I don't think it as a movie was designed to stand on its own. Mm -hmm. Um, so I had, I was pretty vocal about like, I don't know how I'm going to feel about this until I see Endgame. Um, which I, still feel might be true but i also may just feel gentler towards it now that it's not like my first time seeing it so i have to revisit that one um are you thinking you'll try to watch it like you know a day or two before you end up seeing endgame yes Uh, because i would like to see sort of the whole picture yeah um also i'm not emotionally ready for steve rogers to die He's 100% going to, so... Oh, no, I know. I know. I have a very... I have a very definitive theory about that also. Yeah. Um, and I and I know, but that does not mean that I am prepared sure. in any way. Sure. Um, he has consistently been one of the best parts of the MCU, and I just was not... I was not originally prepared for how much affection i would feel towards captain america like Mm -hmm. before i saw that first movie i thought he was kind of goofy um and i think the way that chris evans has played him so earnestly um and such this bastion of like conflicted do-gooder has just been really a highlight for me um and i i don't want to lose that but on the other hand we have Brie Larson as Captain Marvel now, and she's excellent. Yes. So I'm I'm interested to see the future of the MCU while also being sad about what we're losing. An interesting note on that, and I'm not sure if, if it'll even be like noticeable, is that um, they filmed uh, Brie Larson in Endgame before they filmed Captain Marvel. 
Um, so she, she has said that, like, she was still kind of trying to figure out her character. Um, so we'll see if she seems definitively, like, different or just less fleshed out than uh, she was in Captain Marvel. Um, and I'm sure she'll inherently be less fleshed out because it's not her movie. It's a movie with only 13 other superheroes in it now that they killed the other 500. Well, you can put real big quotation marks around kill. Um, they killed him. You can bring him back, but they killed him. <laughs> they disappeared them. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I guess... most of them are coming back. We know this. Yeah. That was one of my big conflicts with Infinity War, was that I did not feel anything in that big emotional climactic moment, because I'm like, you didn't kill Black Panther. Yeah. Like, I... <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's, that's not a thing. Like we're we're, um, we're watching trailers for a Spider-Man movie. Spider-Man is coming back. Right. Um so what I am looking forward to and I did just have to So first of all, I looked up to see if Dennis Villeneuve's Dune was slated to come out this year. It is not. Oh, I'm so <laughs> looking forward to that. Yes. So that is not what I'm talking about. What I'm going to talk about is the um, Elizabeth Moss vehicle, the kitchen, which I re re le referenced obliquely while you were talking about widows. Mm -hmm. uh, the kitchen was a graphic novel um, by some people. When as you're looking that up, she's got a movie coming out like now called Her Smell, where she's like a rock star. Uh, it's like a in, terrible name. It's a terrible name, but it seems like a really good movie. And like Elizabeth Moss, do. Do more things. I will see you in anything. Oh, sure. Yeah. So The Kitchen was a graphic novel by Ollie Masters, Ming Doyle, and Jordi Belair about three women whose husbands are running the Irish mob, um, and they all go to prison, and these women have to step in and run things while their husbands are in jail. Um, it's fantastic. Um Elizabeth Moss is starring along with, if I was smart, I would have had this information up already. Is this going to be a movie or a show or? Um, I believe it is a mini series. Cool. Oh no, movie. Being adapted into a movie. Um, starring Elizabeth Moss, Tiffany Haddish, and Melissa McCarthy. Oh, which sweet. Are, yes. Very interesting choices. Yeah. Um... And makes me wonder what kind of angle they're going to be taking with it, because the comic is not comedic. Um, and while I was just talking effusively about Melissa McCarthy taking a dramatic role, Tiffany Haddish is also um, a traditionally comedic actress. So I am interested to see if they're going to play it up as a dark comedy, which I think it could work as. Mm -hmm. Um but no, I'm just, I'm like, there's, there's so much about this movie that I think are really interesting choices. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, seeing what they do with it. Very cool. What, uh, when is that coming out roughly? Um, like fall. August 9th is the tentative release date. Hmm. Yeah. It's being directed and the screenplay adaptation written by Andrea Burloff, who this will be her directorial debut. Um, also going to star Dom Hall Gleason. Oh. 
can't go wrong yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. It'll at least be interesting. And also, I think everyone should check out that comic because it is great. Yes, I'm definitely going to be checking out the comic. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to Martha and I uh, talk about what we have been consuming in the background this winter and spring. Um, Sort of what's informing our own pop culture uh, universe here. You can uh, follow the show on Twitter at DYDYHpodcast, and uh, you can also check our website, uh, homeworkpodcast.com. Facebook us, uh, send us an email at show at homeworkpodcast.com. We love to hear from you. Um, Find us anywhere podcasts are found, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play. Please do leave a review uh, and a rating. Um, It's how we get more exposure, how people find out about us. Um, Martha, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at all the places at Magical Martha. Um, did you plug the Instagram and I just missed it? Oh, I did not. No, thank you. Um, yeah. Yeah. You can also find, uh, did you do your homework on Instagram at DYDYH podcast? Um, I speak Instagram a little bit better than I speak blog. So frequently, um, that updates more reliably with new episodes and other supplementary content. Yeah, Martha's been um, doing a really I, good job running the Insta. Thank you. Uh, I write a newsletter called Martha's Media Minutes, um, which you can find at tinyletter.com backslash Magical Martha. Uh, that goes out about once a week or whenever I have something to say. Um, I've been thinking about maybe throwing up some of my short fiction on there just for funsies when I don't have anything like pop culture related to uh, put there. Um, yeah. Give us a review. <laughs> Tell your friends. Yeah. Um, Pete, where can people find you? Or again, did you already say that? <laughs> no, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Pico 3000, P I K O 3000 politics and pop culture. Next episode is our Mighty Marvel Extravaganza episode. Uh, to celebrate uh, the coming out of Endgame, we're going to be talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, all its impact that it's had on pop culture for the past 10 years, our thoughts about Endgame, all that good stuff. Your homework is, of course, to watch all 23 movies and write a 10-page paper with footnotes, uh, preferably in the Chicago style, uh, about your thoughts on how the Marvel movies affected pop culture. Um, now just be aware of Marvel movies and go rewatch some of your favorites and, uh, go see Endgame, I'm guessing. Uh, you will have already done so. Uh, thanks so much for listening to us. Tune in two weeks from now. Class dismissed.